Hi everyone, I'm Donia. And I'm Astaire. And you're listening to The Expose, where we peel back the layers around a taboo topic, onion style. This week we'll be talking about feminism and religion. We have two special guests with us, Sophia Mohammed and Katie Kaysner Frenchman. Um, I'll let them introduce themselves. Sophia, would you like to start off by introducing yourself? Sure. Hi everyone, my name is Sophia and I'm the Senior Community Editor for The Tempest and this is actually my second time doing the podcast and I'm really excited about this conversation. Um, Hopefully we can keep it short but you never know with this. (laughs) I'm Katie, I am the Interviews Editor at The Tempest and yeah, I'm pretty psyched about this and a lot of brain energy thinking about uh, feminism and religion. thought maybe you could start by telling our audience why this is a a passion of yours, this topic, feminism and religion. Um, I think we all come from different religious backgrounds. um, So it'd be, yeah, it'd be good to understand why you're here. I'll start. I was, I'm obviously immediately drawn to this because I was, I was raised in the church in a series of various denominational Protestant churches around the world, um, some of which were closer and further away to the sort of Protestant evangelical, what I would call fundamentalism, uh, that sort of cropped up. And I am someone who really values my relationship to God and to tradition. And I'm also a feminist and have been for a long time. So that was tough. And it was something that it was something that really challenged me for my entire life. It's something that challenges me now. And I am someone who really loves reading about history and about books. spent a lot of time reading about the Hebrew Bible. Since I think I exhausted all of the feminist literature on the New Testament, I'm back to like feminist discussions on Talmud. I spent a lot of time studying Judaism. So yeah, that's, that's my background of very personal relationship with Christianity and a very extensive um, relationship with Judaism as an adult. Um, but I'm not, I'm not Jewish. I've not converted but I have a very close relationship to it. How do you identify religiously right now or spiritually? I I mean, I actually, it's funny. I, I generally identify to other people as a Christian because that way people know where I'm coming from. Genuinely, it's, I kind of don't. I am sort of in between, but extremely passionate. Interesting. All right, we definitely need to go back to some of that with some questions later. Definitely. Um, maybe, maybe, Sophia, you can um, give us a little bit of background on your own relationship yeah so similar to katie i pretty much started like practicing a lot more and being more interested in my religion when i was in my mid-teens which is kind of weird because most teenagers probably won't want to do that so in terms of like learning more about things uh, that sort of uh increased my interest increased in that when i was like in early 20s so it was more of uh, like really um, connecting to other women in the outside world. And by the outside world, I meant like across the world. So actually social media did help a lot because I didn't find 
any sort of community locally um, in terms of like Muslim women, that kind of thing, in terms of Muslim women sharing their voices. That happened for me online through Twitter, actually. And it was so refreshing and like really, yeah, it was really just a very refreshing thing to actually see Muslim women like speaking for themselves because the community that I'm from, you don't usually see that for the most part, women are kind of like you just sit in the congregation sometimes to the back of the congregation and that's it in terms of involvement and community activities it's really just the men and the men speak for men even down to like Muslim women writers that was a new thing for me because I never had access to that that was pretty much my growth and it's still going on in terms of like learning about different aspects of the religion and different teachers and different things about spirituality. Cool. Yeah, I have like so many questions for both of you already. Um, But maybe um, Donia, you and I could also... Yeah, I want to... Do you want to go first, Esther? Sure. My relationship to religion and spirituality has been a a lifelong journey and um, a very complicated and very political journey. My parents were converted to the Mormon church in Spain which is um, why we moved to uh, Utah. And, um, you know, we've been living here undocumented for um, the past 25 years. And um, it was really because of the Mormon church and the, because the Mormon church has very socialist values, to be honest, and they actually have their own welfare system. And so because we couldn't uh, benefit from the state benefits, as a documented people, it re- was really our Mormon community that um, that supported us when we were struggling. And um, however, it's also very patriarchal, very like insular, um, conservative community. And um, it really runs the state in Utah. Utah is very much a theocracy. And so as I became more conscious, you know, as I started reading more, as uh, when I went to college, um, I stopped really resonating with um, the structure of the church and the patriarchal leadership and, and ended up, yeah, I stopped going to church. I really started to lean more into atheism, but also not really like, I guess, questioning. I guess I'd say I was agnostic for a while. But interestingly enough, I ended up getting involved in faith-rooted organizing. And that really shifted my perspective on religion because I I did see it as oppressive and that it didn't really have value in society. And um, even though I had had some positive experiences in the church, and like I said, uh, the community had supported my family. And when I saw it really put into action in the way that I had thought that religion was uh, as I was growing up, that really changed how I felt even about organized religion. I still have a lot of criticism of organized religion um, and some of the business structures and the way that it is a vessel for colonialism sometimes. And and all these things and the way that sometimes exploits vulnerable people and also gets uh, really muddies what moral values are when it comes to politics. <laughs> but I'm understanding more and more that in order to really live to our fullest human potential and um, for me to really stay grounded in my social justice work and in my personal relationships and just generally my life, that I, I do need to have some sort of spiritual practice. And yeah, and so that is kind of a period of transformation around my 
spirituality right now, figuring out what it is. Yeah, how I put it into practice, uh, the values that I hold and what communities I want to be part of. So that, that's where I am at right now. I would love to... Yeah, I definitely want to delve into that a little more during our conversation. To all of your stories, actually, there's just so much that we could talk about. Um, so for me, I was raised um, Muslim from, I mean, just from day one. But my parents were very open about kind of like reading up on all religions and kind of making that decision for our, for ourselves um, because my parents are from Iran and so with a very like complicated history with, um, religion, it's kind of just like pushed on you. Um, and so they were very kind of adamant about us being able to, to be open and, and picking what spoke to us most. And for me, that was Islam and a lot of the cultural traditions that were associated with it. Like, you know, growing up, there was just so much that like intertwined with Islam, but also with Zoroastrianism because we celebrated things like Nowruz, like Persian New Year, which is a Zoroastrian holiday. Um, and Zoroastrianism was like, you know, the first dualist religion ever created. It's like the, they, they say it's like the mother to the Abrahamic religi religions, the religions of the book. And so there was that. And then I, I kind of have, a, a, our family is kind of like complicated now because my younger brother and my younger sister converted to Christianity a few years ago. And so our family's a little divided. And so that might be something um, we can get into also. Wow. Yeah. The fam family dynamics in a mixed religious household. Damn. <laughs> I thought maybe we'd start by talking about, you know, uh, feminism and religion, um, because I think that a lot of people don't see that as coexisting well. <laughs> um, but I think that we, you know, we, we all identify as feminists and and maybe consider ourselves spiritual or religious. So does anyone want to kind of dig into how you hold the two together? So I just want to start off by saying I think that... A lot of times we associate um, religions with the oppressions that women and women and other marginalized communities face in different societies. But I and and please correct me if any of you disagree. But for me, what I think is that these oppressions aren't coming directly from the religion, but rather the traditions and the culture that has been derived as a result of the religion. And a lot of that is like, you know, because of poverty or lack of access to health services, to education, um, and, and the patriarchy. And so for me, it's really problematic when we say things like insert religion is incredibly oppressive to women when it's not, it's not the religion itself, in my opinion, but rather the, um, the culture that has come to be around the religion for because of a million different factors that have come together, like occupation, um, foreign influence, etc. Yeah, I definitely there's certainly the the traditions that I'm familiar with both have a lot of sexism baked in, and I will like I will get to that, but I definitely I agree that. When it comes to religious texts, and I can only speak about the Hebrew Bible and about the New Testament, that's all I really know. Particularly the Hebrew Bible, which is uh, objectively hard, hard to read, hard to understand, a little bit, um, I'm trying to think of like a, a, like a respectful word, 
a little bit out there and completely contradictory. Like our texts are not, our texts are all over the place and they're hard to, impossible. The Hebrew Bible is literally impossible to take with. It's just, you can't do it. You really can't. Yeah. And I don't think religion was made to be interpreted literally. Yeah. So this development, like a development of real sexism in religion is man-made, <laughs> is man-made like after the fact. Um, but there is, of course, there's there's a huge amount inside of, and of course we can get to the top, to the question of like, what is like already in the faith? Like, right. In the texts, if we just like, if we don't even begin to get into like who compiled texts and how, um, there's tons of horrible things about women that it's very easy to grab from and create a sexist religion from. But there were choices and, you know, there's progressive religious communities that are actively choosing against that now. Um, certainly both in Christianity and Judaism, there's a real movement and there has been for a long time to get away from those interpretations and the laws that were created around these texts um, by men in like the Middle Ages. So I think that um, what Donia was saying about the cultural and societal context that we're in really influencing um, the way that we do interpret and practice religion is so on point and you know, what you're saying about these communities um, changing things up, I think happens parallel to the way that we radically change our society, right? Um, I'm reading this book right now that is really just uh, giving me so much life, so much life. It's just really, it's transforming. It's really just transforming my brain right now and my heart. Uh, but it's called All About Love by Bell Hooks. And um, there's a chapter in here about divine love and spirituality. And um, she talks about, I'm just going to, if you don't mind me quoting this really quick. Um, she says, organized religion has failed to satisfy spiritual hunger because it has accommodated secular demands, interpreting spiritual life in ways that uphold the values of a production-centered commodity culture. So I do feel like, the patriarchy, capitalism, these um, oppressive systems are really what has tainted a lot of our, you know, religious values and our internal sense of morality. I, I like to believe that I have to believe that people are inherently good, that we're born perfect and divine, and that it is really the society around us that corrupts us. And, and it's sad because you see way too many, way too many community, organized religious communities using this really beautiful love centered practice and thinking to hurt people and to control us. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's all so human. Like I get really stuck in on these traditions that are so human and can be so horrible and that like hurts. If you're somebody who believes in God, certainly, I think that hurts. Yeah, definitely. Like, just adding on to what Donia was saying was that, um, like, another thing, too, is because I'm Muslim as well, um, and realizing that so much of Muslim lands were actually colonized and post-colonial effects on these, community is, on these communities is such a huge thing. And even because, like, it 
it's both ways. So my background is that I'm of East Indian descent, but my ancestors came from India to the Caribbean as indentured laborers. So either way, I was going to still be faced with colonialism. So it's still dealing with that on either end of the world, really. And even with the, like, my understanding of religion, like growing up, we wouldn't like particularly devout, but we would practice like certain things, like go to mosque, that kind of thing. And it never came across to me as a child, um, that you know god never liked women or as a woman i was inherently like less than a man that never that was never my understanding of it so it's only like really as you get older and like wise and like start to notice things about your community and things that you know women really aren't getting that space to be to have that full experience as the men because of their gender then you start to realize that there's so much that needs to be unlearned when it comes to religion and society and understanding really the effects that the patriarchy and cultural um, practices has left on these communities and really the intertwining of culture and religion and really not knowing the difference between the two. And so like people will just choose to reinforce cultural stereotypes or reinforce the patriarchy because, you know, this is just what we are accustomed to and not really knowing that this really has no religious backing. It's really culture. And just being really ignorant to want to move past that. It can really, it can be very complicated as well when you, if you're someone who values tradition um, and values the parts of your culture or religion that are, that have been passed down and that have survived. And so much of that is cultural and a lot of that um, is sexist. And that, that's hard. And I, you know, I genuinely wish, I, I list, there's a fantastic um, sex positive podcast uh, run, one of the hosts is an Orthodox Jewish woman. And, you know, a lot of Jewish law, a lot of halacha is, I, I would argue that it's kind of sexist and she would probably have a much better and more nuanced answer. Things like, um, you know, not being able to be with your husband while you're on your period and things like that. Um, but there are people who find these for whom those practices are very important and for keeping those laws are really important. And that's, like, that's hard in a lot of ways. You could argue that a lot of halacha, a lot of Jewish law is, but it still means something to feminism. And that's, like, that's hard because you want to do it the way that your parents did it, the way your mother did it, and the way your ancestors did it. And that's a tough choice. So how do we, how do you think that we, I guess, wrestle with those things, you know, that we want to, because sometimes, you know, passing down these traditions, this culture is a way of resisting white supremacy, right? Or like resisting nationalism. And and so it's like, how do we, how do we like really ground ourselves in our heritage and our traditions in our um, religious culture and also like resist or start to um, challenge or question maybe some of the things that don't work with our feminist values or is there a way for, yeah, how do those, how do we hold those things together? Well, so I think like critics of, of this question would be like, you know, you can't pick and choose um, in religion. So you're either all, all in it or not. You know, how many times has a man told you this? I mean, for me, it's like been a bajillion times. Um, people are like, oh, like, how can you identify as a Muslim woman if you don't hijab? Um, and so I think that, I think that it's a matter of like whether you consider 
religion personal or um, if if it is something that's like kind of um, enforced by your community, right? Um, because like if it's individual, if it's really between you and God, your personal relationship with God, then these criticisms and these issues I don't think would exist. But it, but it's not. It's really reinforced by the community, and the community is run by men, and that's why patriarchy tends to um, color religion. Yeah, the the picking and choosing thing, I have a lot of feelings about. Um, I was personally like very very shamed as a teenager in church and told that I couldn't pick and choose from the Bible, which is hilarious. Like my favorite example in the New Testament, there's two letters attributed to Paul, and in one letter. He goes through this whole spiel about how women can't uh, preach or speak about religion. And then, you know, a little later in the letters, he's like, well, listen, if a woman is preaching, she should definitely be covering her head because when women are preaching, they need to cover their head. And like you have these moments where you're like, well, I have to pick. Like if I, if I read my Bible, if I read the New Testament, I have to choose. It's one or the other. Women can either preach with their head covered or they can't at all. And you have to, like, our entire, certainly for Hebrew Bible and the news, by following religion, you are picking and choosing. You have to, you have no choice. And that is something that I really struggle with because it's like, it's a complete denial of the fact that the whole religion is based on individual and community, frankly, but like individual communities' relationships with their religions. They worked through the issues. They landed on something together and that was you know exegesis that was people expanding on the original religion yeah in the mormon church you actually can't pick and choose you have to follow things to a t or you don't get the benefits of the community and you're not worthy to like enter into the sacred spaces you're not worthy to um, participate in some of the rituals and to a point like if you're not following everything as they lay it out and interpret it um, you can also be excommunicated which is you know if you're a, a dedicated member that's a big deal that's like being completely it's being excommunicated from God in a way, you know, and and from your community, which can be so painful. Yeah, I really like Donia the way that you kind of that you've reframed things. That it's really like if if we are looking at religion as a personal relationship with God, then in some cases you may have a responsibility to step away from the religious structure that is um, not allowing you to maintain that personal relationship and to make the choices that work for you. I mean, the thing is, is that I think religion as we know it today is not only religion, it's politics. And that is the issue. Because religion originally, in, in, I, I think religion really should be between you and your God, right? I mean, that is the whole... That, it, that really is the whole, like, underlying belief. All religions, that kind of is, like, your relationship with God and what that relationship gives you in the afterlife or in your current life. You know, if you're looking at, like, Buddhism or Taoism, like, really, like, in, in this current life that you're in to get, you know, to, you know serenity and, and, like, peace in your life, then that looks like having a certain kind of lifestyle you know, um, and like, you know, in Christianity, you know, to get in, into heaven, like you have to live a certain lifestyle. So 
really, like, in my opinion, like, religion, I mean, it really is personal. It's all about you and your life and what you're doing and what that gives you in life or in your afterlife, depending on what religion you follow. But today, like, religion has, and not only today, I mean, look back at, like, the Crusades. (laughs) Um, I mean, and this is not only, like, the religions of the book. I mean, look at what's happening in Myanmar right now with the Rohingya. Um, it's, It's politics. People are using religion as a political tool, um, whether that is to, um, like repress people, um, or if it's to gain certain advantages, I just think that it's being used as a tool. And so people then, um, take the effects of, of how that's being used and blame it on the religion and don't want to look deeper at what really, I mean, ISIS is not, ISIS is not what Islam is about, but Islam is being blamed for the actions of ISIS fighters. Um, so that's really how I view it. Yeah, I mean, the religions of the book are certainly, like, this is this is the cornerstone of all commentary for certainly the Abrahamic religions, which is the religions are political from the beginning. Like, there are the notion of the incredible and important and beautiful notion of a personal relationship are relatively modern. Um, they certainly show up much later. They show up in Christianity um, and certainly don't, and they're explored in the Hebrew Bible, but not quite as much. And they're all like such deeply political documents and such deeply political when they're created that people really fail to look at the politics and say like do we want to take the politics of a different time just as much as like the politics of today are complicating things and muddying them and dirtying them and really like you know maybe ruining it for the rest of us certainly for feminist people who um who want to have a relationship with religion and God. Like, it was always that way. And the fact that people don't take into account that the political structures and the political assumptions that go into all of these faiths is, um, when that doesn't happen, I find it astounding. Mostly because it's fascinating. Um, It's so interesting. (laughs) Like, why you wouldn't read your Bible with an eye to the politics and culture of the time is beyond me. Um, speaking to my evangelical uh, upbringing. But yeah, you have to know how to get the politics out of things. Yeah, it really comes down to like education and like learning more about your religion because it never, whatever your religion is, it never came in a vacuum. It came to people at a specific time and that would... That's one of the reasons that it transformed people because it spoke to them. It understood their circumstances and, you know, really focused on that personal relationship with God as well as the culture of the day and the society. And uh, thinking that, you know, it really just existed in a vacuum is completely wrong. Like that makes no sense at all. It didn't just appear out of the blue. It was uh, a slow transformation um, with people. And uh, yeah, I think like that's a huge issue that people face, like not knowing about, not being educated about their religion and then they perpetuate um, cultural beliefs and reinforce that because they just don't know. So I think like a main thing is like, 
going back to your sources and learning, like actually sitting down and learn about your religion, if it's important to you and the practices and whether that come from and why is that um, important and realizing that for some things, there's actually like you can do different things. It's not a hard and fast that this is it and you can only do this. Um, but realizing that, no, you can actually, there are other avenues you can take um, and none of them would be invalid. They're perfectly acceptable. But again, people don't know because they just like, it's either this or nothing, take it or leave it. But that's kind of like man's doing really. Um, because if you're giving the, if you are given the choice by God, who is a man or like a group of people, um, to say that, no, you actually don't have that choice. That's completely ridiculous. Yeah. And it depends on your, your religion's relationship to Mm -hmm. commentary and questioning. And that, when I say religion, it's very much like smaller group by smaller group. Finding a home for yourself where you can really dig in and question without being okay. shamed it's hard to do mm-hmm. but it's Definitely. it's critical if you want to be a feminist and you want to explore religion and faith and tradition and those certainly like those places certainly exist it's a really big question of what do you hold on to and what do you let go and then realizing that it's all it's really your personal choice like how much you want to um engage with your religious community or with your relationship on God, with God so it's really like an everyday kind of thing and knowing what it is you need like some days you you know will just really not want to engage with your religious community and like for a lot of people they have been let down so much by their religious communities like they're just completely turned off and they would just um it's just like a really personal relationship with God that they end up having because they did not find that support that they needed so yeah I think it's so and religious shaming is another huge thing like people um kind of hold you to a particular standard because of your family um your family's status in the in communities and so you dare not step out of line or like not conform to that um and there's a lot of pressure behind that when you because it really is a personal relationship so you can just be doing it for show and nobody can know that as opposed to you know not having that sort of exude that uh, very religious outlook and your relationship with God is a lot closer than people who look very religious so again people will always judge so we're getting close to our time limit on this I thought that maybe we could do a quick round because Safiya, you said earlier that you really found your community on Twitter and that's where you started to read more Muslim, more Muslim writers. And and I feel like, you know, maybe each of us has a few people that we follow who might be spiritual guides for us that we could maybe uh, tell our audience about. So maybe we can do a quick round of, you know, maybe like a podcast that you really like or a, um, a person to follow, um, things to read that have really kind of supported your spiritual growth? Oh, that's a hard question. Yeah, yeah, that's... I could start off because I have like a couple names like coming to my mind. Um, even though like there aren't people, again, in my local community, everything is just really being accessed through online platforms. So like one of the main institutions that I actually like I'm associated with in terms of education is led by someone who is based in Minnesota. So her name is Tamar Gray and she lived in Syria for about 20 years and came back to the States and she actually 
has an institute called Rabata, which there's an educational part of it, which is all about reviving female leadership, which is fantastic because so many people don't know and never had access to that. And in terms of like spirituality, like Yasmin Mojahid, is, her book, Reclaim Your Heart, is such a fantastic read. Like every time you go to it, you get something different from it, as well as uh, this uh, other person, Asma Hussein. She wrote a book called A Temporary Gift, which came about after the um, really sudden death of her husband in Egypt. So he was actually murdered. And it's really like her diary entries as she deals and processes with that grief and like focusing more on her relationship with God. So even like we might not have lost like a, a spouse in that way, but we certainly have experienced loss and like life just throws you a curveball and like going back to the source and really like you can walk through her healing as she really deals with all these raw emotions. And another like really popular person that I like is uh, um, Maryam Amir. So she also, she talks um, and she's like, she studies as well um, about the religion and she's very much active in her community um, talking to women and talking about like using the things that you have your resources and what and not like dumbing down yourself or making yourself very um quieter because there's always this thing about you know as a Muslim woman you need to be like very submissive and very quiet and if and your personality if you're very like energetic and outgoing then a lot of people can see that as a no, that's not right, that's not how you're supposed to be. So really just like embracing that part of yourself. And then there are also like really great magazines popping up like all over the world. Like one of the longest ones that I know about is Sisters Magazine, which is based in the UK. And then there are other women who focus on like personal growth and that kind of thing. I really so much about like right now, like understanding that you need to take time to self-care, take time to see about yourself. And I think like underlying in a lot of cultures, we don't have that. That was never said to us. We never knew about that. And I think like it's a millennial, perhaps a millennial thing. And maybe like people when they're a little bit older that, you know, you need to take time for yourself. So one of the like really great persons that I found is, her name is Lyanka Sani. And she's all about, you know, like reconnecting to God and reconnecting to yourself as well, which is so important, especially like because it's twofold, like you focus on your relationship with God, but then you also have to focus on your relationship with yourself because you are living with yourself your entire life so people tend to ignore that so yeah off the top of my head that's the list i'm sure there are more but that's it for now wow that is a lot of resources i feel like yeah um, you should email all of those to the team and maybe we can like tweet them out um yeah definitely yeah, i, I want to follow a lot of these mm-hmm. people yeah uh okay gosh my list is so long this is tough so i guess i'll start with podcasts that i find fantastic so the first my first wholehearted endorsement is oh my god what the fuck by this is this is listen if you're like easily offended uh don't do it but it's incredible um as far as i know it's just the three books of the heat the three first books of the hebrew bible basically this ex-orthodox guy translates it again from hebrew literally but there is a lot of incredible commentary and like information about translation information about hebrew information about original original commentary the commentary of rashi so if you want a really irreverent um look at it he has a lot of feminist guests on who it's it's fantastic it's hilarious and it ends up being a very sort of feminist and interesting way of looking at the hebrew bible so that's number one 
then uh, one of the resources that I really have appreciated and they put out they put out podcasts um they do one for lent um so united methodist church in i'll put a link to this but there's a a church i believe they're based in chicago they put out a social justice lenten podcast that is fantastic so all the way through lent you get social justice based suggestions and then fantastic podcast that is very feminist and specifically like Jewish, Reform Jewish, is Bad Jew Weekly, which is run by a woman uh, called Jenna Reback. And she really pulls apart a lot of issues, you know, a lot of social issues in Judaism. And then she also goes through every week's um, Parsha, every week's portion of the Torah, and also does the Haftorah, which is the rest of the Bible, the portion from the rest of the Bible, and does commentary on that. So she's fantastic. And I find that She's a really great source, a really great place to go if I want to remember, if I really want to hear a feminist perspective. And then there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of fantastic books. If you are a Protestant, I think probably, or even frankly, a Catholic, any kind of Christian book, Finding God in Tyrannical Texts, which is written by uh, Francis Meyer Gensch. It's fantastic. If you're a Christian who's really struggling with um, specifically New Testament issues, it's about, it's about, it's about the feminist lens of the New Testament and the history of feminist commentary in the New Testament. Those are just the beginning, um, but people can also seek out, um, people can seek out feminist Bibles. Um, there is a, there's a project to create a queer friendly Bible. There are feminist, um, Jewish prayer, prayer books, feminist Sidurim that are, um, that are available. The list of resources, um, in Judaism is, is too long. Really, But yeah, those are my favorites. Uh, Certainly. I think if you take two things away, if you buy, if you read Finding God in Tyrannical Texts and like subscribe to Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible, the list is so long. The list, talk it. Oh, what? Ugh. No, I can't do it. The list will go on forever. All right. We're a little bit living off time. So, yeah. Donya, do you want to maybe just uh, riff through your top three? I just actually want to say that for me, it really comes from the people that I follow and the people that I work with, like Layla, um, that keep me rooted because I, I mean, I could list like a number of like academics that uh, like Ziba Mir Hosseini, I love her. But really, I think the people that kind of like inspire me and, and really make me feel rooted in my spirituality are the people that I work with and, and follow in the community. Wow. Yeah, I resonate with that as well. And I'm uh, privileged enough that my work is right now is with um, the Reverend William Barber um, and the Moral Movement and the Poor People's Campaign. And so I get to really listen to, um, I produce a podcast called The Gathering um, for them where they have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And each each month is themed around an issue. And that just really grounds me in my work and in my life and hearing, you know, the spiritual, social justice civil rights music um is really wonderful for me um and then and then i'll say really quick again i've been reading all about love by bell hooks and it's it's just really really supported my spiritual growth collectively and individually i would recommend that as well okay so thank you everybody this was just such a enriching conversation um and 
I hope that our audience gets a lot from it as well. Um, Katie, do you have the weird question for us? Yeah, um, it was going to be something that was going to be longer, so I'll make it shorter. So really quick around, who's your favorite, like, character or person from your, like, religious tradition? Oh, that's hard. Uh, So mine is Tamar from the Old Testament. Um, Tamar is great. She she tricks her uh, father-in-law into sleeping with her and then has children and basically like starts a line of of kings <laughs> and she's like she just does what she wants to do and she's like I'm gonna do this and she takes control and it's hilarious and great it's fantastic Sophia yeah so actually uh, my person is actually my namesake so I'm like really biased to people um who have the name Sophia, like, anytime I meet somebody with that same name, I'm always, like, looking for similarities. So really, it's, like, learning a lot more about, like, who, because there are actually two of them. Um, and, like, trying to, like, walk in your footsteps kind of thing, because there's a lot with your name and personality and that. Um, yeah, there's a link between that. So it's always, like, really interesting whenever I come across information with them, I'm, like, Okay, are we similar? How similar are we? That kind of thing. And then there's also somebody else called Nusaiba, and she was, like, such a total badass. Like, so amazing. So, yeah. I shall leave you with the name Nusaiba so you can go look it up. Really cool. Um, I'm going to p- piggyback off of that because mine is also my namesake. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're um, <laughs> So, my name is pronounced Esther because it's a Spanglish pronunciation, but Esther in the Bible... Um, Queen Esther uh, is, I guess, I, I really didn't resonate with her story whatsoever until recently when um, in the faith-rooted organizing community that I'm a part of, everyone after uh, Trump was elected used for such a time as this, which is a, a passage in, in the book of Esther. And so I started to learn a little bit more about her. And basically, she's really known as someone who was able to like mediate and uh, was very good at bringing people together through like strong rhetoric and able to see both sides of things. And I, I feel like I'm really living into that recently, especially in my, in my work. And so I feel very connected to her story. Also, I had a rabbi once tell me that, that I reminded him of her but also to be careful because she turns into a tyrant. <laughs> yeah, it's just so, a complicated character. <laughs> so um, always checking myself for that tyrannical <laughs> side that I know is lying beneath the surface. That's a really good one. Yeah. I totally feel you on that. <laughs> That's a better answer. Tamar feels like almost a silly answer now. Uh, Donia? Um, so mine will probably be Khadija, who was um, a Muhammad's first wife. I'm going to keep it real simple. <laughs> There's no namesake. She was his boss, I'm right? sure there are amazing uh, Donias out there, but I'll, I'll keep it real short. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to close out. The expose is produced by Narmin Saeed, Suha Sabath, Esther Meronio Baro, Leila Alawa, Mary Morrison, Taylor Ferris, Beverly Wakiaga and me, Donia Nasser. We put out new episodes every Wednesday. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Podmass. Go to thetempest.co for more information, breakdowns of each episode, and the link to our Twitter so you can keep up with us all the time. 
The expose is brought to you by The Tempest, the global media company changing the narrative of diverse millennial women. You can find our playlist on Spotify and 8-Tracks to spice up your music library, and we update it after every episode. If you have any suggestions, complaints, or funny jokes, you can email us at hey at thetempest.co or tweet us at The Expose Show. I'd like to thank our guests, Sophia and Katie, for joining us from... Um, different parts of the world so thank you guys for coming on all right see you next week